Hey, profs. Welcome on in. My name's Rob Lightfoot, proud two-time alum of Rick Edelman College of Communication, class of 2000-2001. This is Beyond the Brown and Gold. I'm Jessica Kennedy. I'm the co-host here, also a two-time proud Rowan alum, class of 2008 from the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts, and 2015 from the College of Education. Thanks so much for joining us today. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Beyond the Brown and Gold, a show that highlights the lives and memories of Glassboro State and Rowan University alumni. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Lightfoot and Jessica Kennedy. On today's show, Jess, we go back to 91 Glassboro State College days, and we talk to Jennifer Webb McCray. Jennifer Webb McCray is one cool lady. I actually had the pleasure of working with her in a previous life. She is not only a 1991 graduate from Glassboro State College, but she is also the first African-American female prosecutor of Cumberland County. Yeah, and she's doing some big work in the area she grew up in, Violin. So check this out. I think you're going to enjoy it. Welcome today. We have our special, uh, incredible guest, Prosecutor Jennifer Webb McCray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We know each other. So Jennifer and I have I have a previous life pre-Rowan, pre-Rowan position. No, you don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so for seven years, I worked in nonprofit and drug prevention in Cumberland County, and I had the absolute pleasure of working and meeting with Jennifer. And oddly, Jennifer, Rob kind of has a similar background, too, so you can kind of share how, yeah. how you fit into this odd sim situation where we <laughs> yeah. kind of are all related but in not, a weird way. But, but kind of not. But so, yeah. so yeah, so I previously worked at a substance prevention and treatment organization, nonprofit in New Jersey called New Jersey Prevention Network. We'll give oh, them a little plug. And they were tied, and Southwest Council uh, is, was one of the affiliate organizations that oftentimes work with New Jersey Prevention Network to do more of the grassroots local work here. So so we kind of all understand yeah. each other's world a little bit. So so we're super excited to have you, but I think we should kind of start from the beginning and and talk about your where you grew up and how you made your way to to Glassboro to attend college here. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Vineland, which pretty much a life resident of Vineland. I spent a couple years away when I was um, first married and my first marriage and, you know, away for school, but have always been a South Jersey resident otherwise. And my parents actually are Glasgow State graduates. They both went there in the late, I would say, 60s. And um, I think my dad graduated in 68 and my mom probably 1970. Um, both getting teaching degrees at legacy the Legacy family. We got a legacy yeah. family on the line. That's exciting. Absolutely. I actually did not plan to attend Glassboro State as it was at the time. I was um, gonna be going to Rutgers University and up in New Brunswick and didn't get housing my first semester. So I stayed home and worked and thought, oh, okay, we're going up there in spring semester and I'll get housing then. And my dad was like, not letting me live off campus. And they were like, why don't you apply to Glassboro State? Um, and I did, and actually lived on campus. So started in the spring semester when everybody else had started in the fall, but um, lived on campus and just loved it. It was like very close to home because you know Violin is about maybe 25 minutes away from Glassboro, but 
still had that college experience, didn't go home very often. My dad worked in Camden at the time, so he used to always drop off my stuff to me on his way um, to work and just loved the experience. It's the best decision I ever made. And even with starting a semester late, I graduated on time with my class, so it all worked out for me. Oh, wow. So you must have squeezed a little bit of a coursework into the rest of your time here. Yeah, I did some summer classes and then added a couple classes to a couple semesters and got in and out on time. So I was happy about that. Did it kind of feel like uh, all things are kind of meant to be? Like you were supposed to go to Rutgers and the housing didn't work out and then you wound up here. What were your original thoughts when you decided, okay, I'm going to I'm going to go to Glassboro? Yeah, I think that I probably thought and it's been so long, you know, because this is over 30 years ago. I graduated in 1991. I think I probably thought like, oh, it's too close. It's too local. It's not going away. And, you know, that probably was my thought when I applied to Temple and Rutgers and some places that were further away. But it just turned out to be just right. And it was the right choice for me. And I'm just curious, like when people, students kind of find their way through their journey here, was law justice always on the page for you? Was that always sort of your your drive? Yes. Yeah, so I knew from a very young age, I tell the story, like from five years old, I wanted to be a lawyer. And it, it my fa- family really put that in my head because they were, um, you know, saying, oh, you argue every point, you should be a lawyer. And so even I think before I knew what a lawyer really was, they had planted that seed. So I were a really fun child to have. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I hear. A very argumentative debate, debating child. Right. But, um, yeah, I knew I wanted to go to law school um, and picked law and justice for that reason and had that singular focus um, in undergrad to get the grades to do what I needed to do to get to law school. And what did you find yourself involved with while while you were here, while you were not doing the law and justice thing? What kinds of things kept you busy on campus? So I was a resident assistant, I think, for two years. So, like, not that first semester, but then the next year. So I think it was already two or three years. Um, I joined the, I think it was called Gamma Tau Sigma or Gamma Tau Zeta. I can't remember the Law and Justice Honor Society. I joined a sorority. I'm still very proud of that. Alpha Kappa Alpha. She's an AKA. The pink and green. Yes, pink and green. And why I why I chose AKA at the time is they were like they had the highest GPA of the historically black sororities and fraternities. And you know, like up there one and two with all of the fraternities and sororities. So I don't know that was important to me at the time. Um, so I was involved in that um, and just about overall having fun, you know, building a family. I remember having like a little group. We used to call ourselves the campus family and we would, you know, go to dinner together and support each other. Um, and it was just a nice little community. What on campus apartments did you live in? I lived in Evergreen. Okay, it's still here. And then I lived in Triad. I graduated in 2008, and at that time, Triad was still kind of fun. <laughs> like it wasn't until <laughs> I also were you lived doing in, in Triad. Listen, I I never lived in Triad, but I had friends that lived there. But you know where I lived? I lived in the Mansion Park Apartments. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was that was an interesting. Did place. you really? Yeah, which is now like Holly Point. Yeah. So can't even compare the two scenarios. But I feel like it wasn't until we got all of the kind of newer 
newer refreshed dorms that triad became the like you know second third fourth Step choice out. for people <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like triad triad had glory days so yeah it did it did yeah, yeah it did. for sure i think if i was there now like just going back there because you know i teach there so i spent a little bit of time there i'd want to live like down where the shops were and the food was yeah, yeah, yeah. by the boulevard yeah, the boulevard's super cute, and the apartments there are, are awesome. And I'm, yeah, I'm jealous definitely of the housing that's available for for students now. Now you were really involved. Was there anybody like a mentor, a professor, uh, you know, somebody that oversaw some of your clubs and orgs that that you really connected with that helped to guide you during your time here? Or yeah, so um, Dr. Herbert Douglas, he was in the Law and Justice Department. He had been a teacher in Vineland. And he had been the first, I think he was the first African-American teacher to come to Violent. And my grandmother, this was pre-me, I wasn't even born yet. She had like, she had a, not a boarding house, but she had a room that she rented out. And when he came to Violent as a young new teacher, he rented a room from my grandmother. So mm. there was a, like a connection to my family. So when I got there, he was my graduate, my advisor. So he was like the one who said, well, take this class, do this class, especially if you want to go to law school, you should focus on this. So he became a mentor of mine. And then Dr. Yeldell, who's still, you know, still floating around, although he were, you know, semi-retired, he um, became a mentor of mine. And I still keep in touch with him um, from the Law and Justice Department. Of course, Ms., uh, Dr. Bill Myers, who, um, you know, they now have a scholarship in his uh, memory. He was um, just a resource for all of the minority students on campus and kept us straight. And then him being, you know, a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, which is Alpha Kappa Alpha's brother um, fraternity, he like took all of the AKs and Alphas under his wing as well. So he was a big mentor of mine as well. So it's like that's a big piece for you. Is that sort of the advice that you would give students now is to get under somebody's wing to try to move forward? Absolutely. Like I say this everywhere I go and, you know, my position, a lot of people reach out and I teach there and I offer it is that everyone needs a mentor. Like every professional accomplishment that I have in my life really started with people that took the time to take an interest in me and mentor me and guide me in my career. So I offer that to students all the time. If they reach out here at my office or at, you know, every, every semester at the beginning of the class, I say, if you need a mentor in the area of law and justice, because obviously being county prosecutor gives you a lot of connections, I am willing to do that for you, but I need to know who you are to do that. And for, for t today's generation, there's just so many ways to keep in touch that are so much easier than like when I was growing up, right? They can text you, they can email you, we can do video conferences that so we don't even have to, you know, travel to get together. And I am surprised at how many students don't take people up on the, you know, the invitation to yeah. be mentored. Um, I have a few that I've, you know, garnered from Rowan, and I have a few that I've garnered from the community that have really taken me up on it. But um, many say they are, but then don't really do it. And I just think it's a missed opportunity, especially today when there are so many mediums available to us to um, to be mentored. Yeah, and it's such a great piece, too, for networking purposes for you know, when they do hit this alumni space, mm -hmm. you know, yes. and they need to start reaching out and kind of making connections on their own for 
you know, for their to, to move right. their career forward. Speaking of careers, though, so I know you said you want to be a lawyer because you had this, you know, you know, somewhat. We'll say I don't want to say argumentative because that's so, so negative. <laughs> that's right? that's right? you. You I, I tend to you challenge. You challenged, right? You, yeah, I'm a. I'm not. Um, I'm an inquisitive person. Okay, that's a better and frame. I don't just accept everything at face value. Like I'm always asking questions about it. So, um, and I'm not afraid to be uh, challenged, right? So I don't want to, my grandma used to always say, don't be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Be in a room where there's people that you can learn from and be smarter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get get yourself and build yourself and build your knowledge. So um, to some that might appear not argumentative. That's inquisitive. Is inquisitive <laughs> yeah. a better word? Okay. So let's yeah. say, so you had this inquisitive piece of, of your life and, and you know, still obviously we're staying inquisitive, but we, we know you wanted to be a lawyer. Talk to me about, like, we all see these law shows, and everybody kind of sees that. Did you, so you saw sort of that law side. Did you see prosecutor in your no, journey down the road? not at all. So I thought that I wanted to be a family lawyer in undergrad. Found out very quickly when I clerked for a family law judge that that was not what I wanted to do because it was really good people, like, not on, sometimes on their worst behavior or at their worst moments. Um, because they're getting divorced, they're fighting over custody, what have you. Um, and then, you know, developed an interest mainly because an opportunity arose in criminal law. But I started my career on the defense side. I was a public defender. Um, and then, you know, spent several years working for the Office of Public Defender, then went into private practice and represented school boards and housing authorities and planning boards. Um, and but still did some criminal defense work. So I, I, my professional life's aspiration was, I thought, to become a superior court judge. And I had the judge that I clerked for was my mentor, and he became the assignment judge of our vicinage, which is Gloucester, Salem, and Cumberland County. And he really kind of put me in on a lot of committees and a lot of things that I had to do for free, <laughs> hard work, so that I would be in the circles where that would be an opportunity for myself and then this opportunity to become prosecutor came up and um you know i hadn't thought very much about that because i had never thought of myself from the prosecutor side i had always been on the defense side but it's been my professional life's privilege to shape what justice looks like in my community mm. and if you are a firm believer in justice for everyone um, and that justice is blind and we have to work to make sure um, that that it's never going to be a perfect reality, but that we get as close to it as possible. What I found out is that you can be on either side of the aisle and be a um, soldier on the battlefield for justice. So it's been my professional life's privilege to have this opportunity to be um, the county prosecutor in my community where I grew up. And Jennifer, not only just the county prosecutor, but the first female African-American prosecutor in Cumberland County, correct? So yes. What did that mean to you? I got a lot of firsts, which <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't give credit to myself. That's credit to my family and, and a lot of people that poured a lot of resources into me. But I am the first African-American, the first female, and also the first prosecutor to full-time prosecutor to be served more than one term. I remember you being in Cumberland County as I started in Southwest Council maybe in 2000, 
nine. I mean, I feel like you're part of the fabric. I mean, not only have growing, you know, grown up in Vineland, but you're part of the fabric of the county at this point. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think you've. That. Yeah, I mean, I I can speak to my experience um, with you when I you know joined Southwest Council. I mean, I didn't grow up in the area. I grew up in in Monmouth County. A lot of people would ask me where I grew up, and when I said that, you know, in Cumberland County, that you know, very different areas of the state. People, you know, had had strong feelings about coming from an area like that to work in, you know, an area like Cumberland County, which, you know, of course, always is like last on all the lists and top on all the lists you don't want to be on. So it was always kind of an interesting dynamic to come from one place to another. And I have to say that you were always a really welcoming presence. And I was just a county coordinator for a nonprofit at that point. And, you know, you were a prosecutor and you still, you always treated me as an equal and and really, you were, you know, in the weeds of the the meetings and you were present. And I just I want to say that maybe you don't have people calling you and saying, like, can you be my mentor? But I think that that was really speak. I can speak highly of my experience with you that, you know, I don't know that we got to know each other incredibly well, but I always felt like you were a resource that, it, you know, it didn't matter that you were the prosecutor and I worked as a coordinator. I could always call you or call upon your staff or your office and you could be a resource for, for me and our, our agency in the position. So I just do want to formally thank you for that because I think, you know, you might not realize the impact you're having on, on people in the area and not from the area. I think I definitely want to say thank you for that experience because well, that was great well, you are welcome and i'm i'm grateful to hear it doing this job is it's a it's a hard challenging job right because my most important role is to to fight crime and to hold those who commit crime in the county responsible but because of the passion that i have for justice um i really feel that i have a, a incredible opportunity to be, have a platform to say to everyone that, you know, we need to reimagine what public safety is. And if we don't stop doing things the way we have been doing them, which is kind of, you know, focusing on spending a lot of money in the law enforcement space, but not paying attention to the intervention and prevention space, that we're going to be in the same spot 30 years from now, which is a lot of social ills get kicked down the can to the criminal justice system because we don't ignore them or we don't value them by placing resources to really address them effectively upstream. So that will be resources in the mental health space, resources in the addiction space, resources um, for to wrap services around kids and who are experiencing trauma in school so that the village can really, you know, go step into action so that they can grow up and be their best health, healthy selves. The way I keep myself sane, the way I keep myself mission driven is to to be able to spend time to work on my passion, which is working with the front end systems. Do you think that being, you know, I talked a little bit about how I kind of came from a, a different place and then kind of landed in Cumberland County for my first professional experience. But do you think that growing up in Vineland and now working in Cumberland County, does that impact, do you think, the way that you do things or the way you kind of maybe internalize some of the things that are part of your job, the fact that you're a lifelong resident of the area you serve? Well, I certainly have a passion for like my community. And I, you know, I, I say this a lot, like we, we have a lot of challenges in Cumberland County being always 20 or 21 of the poorest counties in the state. Um, 
there's a lack of, you know, some resources down here that, that like you said, make us sometimes be at the top of the wrong list, like the, the, the list that um, address childhood well-being metrics, things like that. But there are a lot of assets to living someplace like Cumberland County. Um, I always say that you can be a big fish in a small palm, pond in Cumberland County because it, you really don't have to get too many people on one accord to do amazing things. And we've demonstrated that we can do that. Um, and, you know, I could have chosen to live anywhere. One thing about being a lawyer is you can work in a lot of different um, mediums and with a lot of different types of laws and can go anywhere in the country as long as you can pass the bar. Right. <laughs> but I chose to come back here because there's there's benefits to living someplace like Cumberland County. I love that I can get in my car and be in, at work in 17 minutes. And if I'm complaining about traffic, it's because I got behind a school bus <laughs> or because uh, literally this morning, a rooster crossed the street and caused the school bus to stop abruptly. Um, the kids probably so, loved that. Yeah. So we, you know, we don't experience the traffic that, you know, I experience when I go up to North Jersey. Um, we have beautiful, wide open spaces that you can enjoy. Um, so there are benefits to living in a community like Cumberland County as well. Um, that doesn't turn my eye away from the challenges that we face and we don't sugarcoat them, but we're um, tackling them together um, working with, you know, our, our super county superintendents, working with Inspira Health. I can talk to you about some of the amazing programs we're doing with them. And um, it makes it exciting to come to work every day because I feel like the work that I'm doing is meaningful and impactful. You know, let's talk about a few of those programs that you have coming up that are exciting, kind of impact the local community that, you know, that, like you mentioned, we, we also need. Yeah, so... Um, we do a back to school initiative every year and we missed two years because of COVID because the schools weren't really doing them, but we're back at it. And this year we went, we're going to over 40 schools. And one of the programs that we are talking about is a, is a collaboration we did with Inspira Health where um, after the Fairfield Township party that ended up with 11 people being shot, I think, and two dead, um, we realized that we need to garner and catch our young people and dispel this myth that there are not positive things for young people to do in Cumberland County. There are actually a lot of positive things for young people to do, but sometimes parents and families don't know how to access them. So we worked with Inspira Health, um, thanks to Amy Mansu, who is the CEO of Inspira, to create an information campaign which they paid for and they designed with an advertising agency called Future Remix. So kids know that they can remix their life no matter what path they're on. They can, you know, if they decide to make healthy, positive decisions, they can get on a good path. So there's a website called futureremix.org. And if you go to that website, it lists um, probably about 20 child or youth serving organizations in the community that we have worked with over the years and we actually know meet kids needs and we know we'll call back and we'll get kids engaged. In your opinion, do you think one of the biggest criminal issues that you're witnessing, the biggest problems in the criminal justice system that we're seeing is police are, you know, responding to things that they're not necessarily trained for? From chairing the AG's 
committee that to address emotionally dis disturbed persons and use of force, one of the most dangerous times and about at least 25%, but we think it's more anecdotally, um, of the calls to respond to mental health of the events that lead to officer involved shootings are actually caused for mental health crisis. Um, you know, when even we call it lawful, but awful, even when we find that it's appropriate that an officer use deadly force, that doesn't necessarily mean that there couldn't have been other interventions. And, you know, it's just terrible when a family loses someone because we see that the people that are, you know, that, that the police are encountering have been in the mental health system numerous times and not have not had their needs met in a way that allowed them to just live a healthy life. Right. right? And even when it's lawful, meaning, you know, we, we're not charging a police officer criminally for being involved in that type of incident, it spurs lawsuits, which causes the community a lot of money. Right. So why not do it better and take the money that we're paying out in these lawsuits and and um and the trauma that's caused by being involved in an incident like that and divert those resources to actually having programs in the mental health space that work let's let's one because this is getting intense for me but <laughs> my like a bad day for me is that my printer runs out of ink right you're dealing with so many more dynamic things here how are we winding down like are we going home watching some trash tv on the couch like what do we what is what is jennifer doing to stay fed but also kind of just like relax because this is intense that you're doing every day um my guilty pleasure is the Real Housewives. That's okay. Look, it's um, okay. I have no judgment. There's a couple thousand people listen to this. There's no judgment. We're just reporting. Yeah. And I'm also watching The Real Housewives. Do you have a, a favorite um, area of Housewives? I like New Jersey um, just because I think I like Beverly Hills. Okay. And I really like The Real Housewives of Dubai. I started oh, watching. I haven't that seen one. that one yet. The reason that I like The Real Housewives is because um, you can just. You don't have, if you miss an episode, you can, you can veg, yeah. where you left off, right? Like, yep. So I really like that. And my husband and I have been watching the new Game of Thrones. So I really like that okay. as well. I've heard about um, that. And I've heard you don't have to watch, have watched Game of Thrones to watch this new series, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I was a Game of Thrones, you know, uh, what is, I'm passionate about it. I, I really like it. So I've watched all the previous episodes. Um, I don't have a lot of time to read. So like when I do read, I tend to read like news articles rather than books, but I'd like to get back to that. Um, and I just, you know, my sanctuary is my family and my home. And I think um, COVID kind of reset me to realize like as much as I, you know, I like to be out and be a member of my community and doing a lot in the community that you have to take time to recharge. I do that by spending time with my my husband and my I have a son who's 25 and I have stepchildren so I have I have grandchildren. So I have a 6-year-old and an 8-year-old boy and girl grandbaby so I do a lot with them. I'm sure that keeps you you busy and I'm sure you're a great role model for them and in, in your role and just in your daily life. Do you have any advice for you know, your grandchildren that are growing up and, um, you know, Rowan students, like advice for kind of that can reach all the generations of life lessons you've learned in your position or just in your life that you think is valuable, things you try to instill in people when you're grandparenting or mothering or even mentoring. A core that I live by is just to be a good, honorable person. Like your word means something. And I think that 
that's something like in everything that you do, try to do it with integrity. My husband has a saying, he always says it's, it's easy, but it's hard. Right? And you're like, what does that mean? It's easy to say that integrity is important to you, but it's hard to live by it every day. Right. Um, but you, I always want to leave people feeling like, you know, it was better for the interaction that they had with me. And when you're in stressful situations, it's always important to just try to be kind and to make decisions in good faith. And I have found that as long as I'm making decisions in good faith, that it, my, my core belief comes from my faith that God takes care of the rest, right? So what I try to do, and I, I fall short of the mark probably 10 times a day, is just to to be kind and empathetic and understand that, you know, people don't necessarily always remember what you say to them, but they always remember how you make them feel. It was so much fun today to reconnect with Jennifer Webb McCray. I haven't had the opportunity to talk with her in a few years since I left my uh, last position and joined the wonderful team here at Rowan, but she's just an absolutely incredible human doing really meaningful work not far from from campus here yeah yeah important work like not that we don't do important work but i what mean she's, it's really important what, what we well, do we, Rob. actually it's, it's super important actually <laughs> let me reframe that <laughs> yeah. no no but she's doing some really big work with with youth especially some of the programs that she discussed and also uh, great talking with her yeah it was really really awesome to reconnect with her and see what she's up to these days and just how important the work that she's doing is to connect members of the community to make not only Cumberland County better, but I feel like her work is so far reaching. So we're grateful to have her as an alum and we were so happy to have her on today's show. And it's unique to get a perspective of the uh, Glassboro State College days, which, you know, always move back and forth between. So Rowan alums and such. It's always a pleasure to be able to bring somebody back and really talk in yeah, depth with them. Especially somebody doing big time work like Jen is doing. So I know I'm looking forward to seeing what she does next and keeping an eye on her. Love doing the show. This is fun, Jess. We'll talk next time. See ya. You've been listening to Beyond the Brown and Gold on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. You can find more episodes on your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Beyond the Brown and Gold or Rowan Radio On Demand.